Hello and welcome to the Vet Professionals 10 Minute Tips podcast series. My name's Sarah Caney and I'm an RCVS specialist in feline medicine and founder of vetprofessionals.com. I've got a passion for feline medicine and I started the 10 minute tips sessions during lockdown in 2020 as a way of sharing tips I've learned with vets and nurses. The following podcast was recorded as a 10 minute tips Zoom webinar on 16th of September 2020. You can watch the recording on the video tutorial page of vetprofessionals.com. To find the video tutorials page, look under the helpful info menu on the main website for video tutorials and then click on the 10 minute tips tab. In this session, I discuss how to assess and triage anorexic cats. I talk about how we can make decisions about when nutritional support is needed, situations where we need to fast track our nutritional supports and consider it more urgent, and also how to get the most out of our history, physical examination and routine lab tests. Thank you again for choosing to listen to this podcast. I hope you find it helpful. Hi there, thanks for choosing to join me for this session. Um, this is the first in a series of presentations all focusing on anorexic cats and nutritional support of anorexic cats. So in this first one we're going to look at assessment of the patient and some of the initial decision making but as this series progresses we're going to talk about uh, nutritional support in terms of voluntary food intake, moving on to tube feeding options um, and all the sort of strategies that can help manage these cases. And as you'll all know, um, it's really one of the most common presentations that we see in our clinics is a cat coming in and the owner reporting that either the cat is not eating at all or that their appetite is reduced. So this is clearly something that you'll be extremely familiar with, but I hope that my tips will help you in future management of cases. The first step really is going to be to assess our patient and try and decide what's going on, what is the severity of the poor appetite, how much support does our patient need, how urgently does our patient need that support and of course importantly can we see an easy cause to that poor appetite that we can treat straight away. There are a lot of potential consequences of poor appetite and they vary from the short term consequences of anorexia such as hypokalemia which cats are particularly vulnerable to. They're really dependent on potassium in their diet and potassium intake to maintain normal blood levels of potassium through to more serious life-threatening complications such as hepatic lipidosis, also reduced immune function, reduced healing. A whole host of, of adverse effects uh, which may start to develop within a few days of, of poor appetite and anorexia in our patient. <clears throat> And um, uh, I've listed some of the, the common ones here on this slide, but we're going to obviously come back to how we address these as we go through this series of presentations talking uh, about the anorexic cat. So when should we consider intervention in a cat that's anorexic? What are some general guidelines that we can follow? 
Well, if you open a textbook or look at a review paper on this topic, you'll probably see some of the following ideas as ones that are suggested for cats as time points to intervene. And it is worth pointing out that cats are especially vulnerable to the more serious complications of complete loss of appetite, hepatic lipidosis being the really obvious one that, uh, that we need to think about because that can be um, fatal in some cases and certainly causes really severe illness which is really difficult to treat, very expensive for our clients and uh, carries a poor prognosis. So when should we start to think about intervening? Well, firstly, if our cat stops eating completely um, and that persists for more than a couple of days, then that is definitely, in my opinion, a time point to start making interventions, to start acting with seriousness for that patient in terms of protecting it from those short and long term complications of uh, anorexia. But there are some other um, guidelines that we can use as well. So, for example, cats with some serious illnesses where weight is falling off them very quickly. Um, the suggested um, guideline for that is that if your patient has lost 10% or more of their body weight in a two week period, so very rapid weight loss, then that also is a time point to consider nutritional support. And then more chronically, we can also look at food intake in those cats that have reduced food intake rather than complete loss of appetite. And I'll talk in the next slide about looking at resting energy requirements as a way of, of giving us an indication of how many calories that patient should be eating a day. And if your patient is chronically eating less than 85% of their resting energy requirements, then that too is suggested as a threshold for nutritional support. If our patient has very protein consumptive or protein losing conditions, um, for example, a cat with really severe generalized uh, dermatitis with uh, really exudative skin disease over a large portion of its body, or a patient that has a pyothorax, for example, um, then these patients are going to be uh, consuming uh, or have a much higher calorie requirement and need, therefore, more aggressive support if their appetite is poor. And lastly, if our patient is cachectic, if they've lost muscle mass and they're in very poor condition, then they too should be higher priority ones for nutritional support. I mentioned looking at resting energy requirements and there are a number of equations we can use to actually calculate our patient's resting energy requirements and therefore work out well is the amount of food that they're eating at home acceptable and this is uh, useful for those chronic ill health cases for example a cat with chronic kidney disease where we know this patient's going to have chronic kidney disease for the rest of their life but how much of an appetite reduction is okay is acceptable for us to live with and so asking owners to monitor food intake, to weigh the amount of food that the cat is being offered and also the amount that is left after the cat has finished eating so we can actually calculate what's been eaten can help us to answer this question. And uh, as you'll see, there are a number of equations that we can use for resting energy requirements. The most accurate one is the body weight to the power 0.75 times 70. That's the most accurate formula that we can use. Um, and in fact, most smartphones, I think, do have um, scientific calculators on them as well. I certainly know with my phone, if you turn it sideways, all those scientific options pop up. So that is possible. But if you're without a calculator, without your phone, um, then an easy, just very rough 
health guide is that the resting energy requirement is about 50 kilocalories per kilo per day. So that is definitely the sort of sum we can we can all do, even if we're having a very busy night on call and haven't had much sleep or much break. And as I've already mentioned, if voluntary food intake is persistently below 85%, then that is considered grounds for um, more aggressive nutritional support. If we're seeing neonates, um, young animals, uh, then we do need to be more aggressive in our therapy. That won't come as a surprise, particularly if they're already unwell, because they are particularly vulnerable. Kittens are quite vulnerable to hypoglycemia, even with very short term poor appetite. So we should um, act more aggressively within 24 hours if a kitten is not eating and perhaps even faster if the kitten is really sick. It should just, just be prioritised for emergency support. In all of our patients, as always, a history is absolutely vital. And of course, in these cases, we know anorexia can be a clinical sign of almost any illness. Therefore, whatever clues we can get in the history that help us to narrow down our list of differential diagnoses are going to be helpful. So therefore, does our patient have pre-existing disease, which may be associated with poor appetite? Or are they on medication, perhaps a new medication, which perhaps can have a, an effect on appetite? The cat that's high hypothyroid and just starting on antithyroid medication, for example, sometimes uh, those thiourolines can be a little gastric irritant and can cause appetite problems. But in patients without those sort of clues, we, we need to also ask about duration, whether it's acute in onset, consistent with perhaps foreign body, for example, uh, or whether it's a more chronic insidious process, whether there are other systemic signs of ill health that will help guide us to uh, the source of the problem. And the bottom line is really just trying as best as we can through that history to see if there is an obvious cause that we can do something about. From a physical exam perspective, of course, the mouth is uh, and the head in general is always going to be a priority area for examination in a cat with poor appetite, um, where we might look for problems with either uh, comfort or ability to pick up the food, to swallow the food, uh, problems with sense of smell, if there's nasal disease, for example, um, and an obvious sort of upper GIT uh, disorders, which might have an impact on appetite. But again, as we know, any illness can have an impact on appetite. So the remainder of our physical examination is still crucial. And from a nutritional assessment perspective, also very important that we not only examine our patient's body weight, but we also look at their body condition and their muscle condition to get an idea of severity of malnutrition and loss of muscle mass is always a priority. This is something that's very difficult to, to regain once it's been lost. But if we're able to detect there has been some loss of muscle condition, that should also fast track our uh, management strategies for that patient. If dysphagia has been described in the cat, then it is useful, if possible, to, to watch the cat eating. And cats that are dysphagic or have uh, pharyngeal or esophageal problems often are quite keen to eat, still quite hungry. So that might not be too tricky. And you probably noticed that the cat in the video just there was uh, very keen to eat, but uh, looking progressively less comfortable eating and then uh, starting to retch and gag. Um, and a nice sort of everyday cause of that in this situation which was uh, at some grass that the cat probably had eaten and then vomited at, at some point and it ended up in, in the back of the pharynx causing some irritation and inflammation and discomfort uh, which made uh, eating particularly difficult but nice and easy to solve and, and eating is restored very quickly. 
if your cat won't eat for you and you think observing it eating is likely to be helpful perhaps based on an owner description then giving intravenous uh, diazepam can be useful in triggering an eating response um, although it's it's not a very normal eating response i would say any of you that have seen a cat uh, post a diazepam will know they they often will face plant into their food um, and whilst they are trying to eat it's, it's not a very normal eating um, but if you have got a cat with esophageal or pharyngeal disorders it, it can be still useful to see their eating and see see exactly what's happening so uh, potentially of some value there beyond that well of course in our cats that are generally unwell then we may want to fast track our lab investigations at this point also dependent on the duration and severity of that loss of appetite if this cat is reported to have not eat and eaten anything for several days um, then certainly there'd be more of an imperative to run lab tests equally also for those cats that are described as having been very picky very fussy eaters for some time perhaps you know several weeks now and it's it, the cat's not completely lost its appetite but it's been poor for a prolonged period then there's going to be value to running lab tests particularly if our physical exam and our history have not given us an obvious answer and as well as looking for clues of the cause of that poor appetite on our lab tests it also can be useful to keep an eye out for potential markers of malnutrition so things like hypokalemia that I mentioned a little bit earlier on very common for cats with poor appetite to have potassium levels that are typically just below the reference range is so perhaps 3 to 3.5 millimoles per litre um, but even a reduction of, of that gentleness will be uh, have an effect on our cat in that it tends to reduce their energy levels uh, will contribute actually to persistent anorexia and importantly is something that we can correct um, so I think very worthwhile looking for we might also see other non-specific changes associated with more chronic malnutrition so as as i've uh, put on this slide anemia of chronic disease lymphopenia um, increased cpk can be seen with um, very poor appetite where muscle is is actually being broken down as an energy source um, and typically will be of a magnitude of 500 to a thousand with most lab reference ranges for cpk being up to a few hundred so if you do see that your cat your anorexic cat has a, a CPK level of 1500 um, then I would certainly consider that entirely compatible with the, the poor appetite so don't necessarily worry about primary muscle disease it's probably that the cat is breaking down its muscle to use that as an energy source. And of course, with hepatic lipidosis, we may see clues of that in terms of jaundice, increased bilirubin and also increased liver enzymes. So in summary, at this point so far, just this very short webinar today, um, hopefully we've been able to assess our patient and establish, well, how severe is the poor appetite? Has our cat completely lost appetite? And if they have for three days or longer, then definitely we want to take instant action. But if they have a reduced appetite, how can we assess that a little bit more critically and decide whether support is needed? Perhaps look at that cat's resting energy requirements, how much food it's, it's eating, get the owner to do some work at home in terms of keeping a diary and make that assessment before moving on to do further assessments. And of course, uh, our physical examination and our initial lab tests can help us in assessing our patients as well. 
Next time we'll be talking about uh, tactics to increase voluntary food intake in our anorexic cats. Later on in the series we will be talking about tube feeding and tube placement. So we're just going to work through uh, the whole set of, of options available to us. So I hope you'll be able to join me for that session in two weeks time. And also just a reminder that there are a lot of resources that are free to access on the website um, that uh, uh, cover a number of topics um, including uh, appetite support but also lots to do with elderly cat care in particular because that's a passion of mine. And very finally the last thing I wanted to do is just to um, mention some surveys that we have uh, running at the moment which I'd be really grateful if you would participate in and also share with your colleagues and your clients. Um, the top two surveys that I have on this slide are the ones I'm especially interested in today. These are both surveys about telemedicine, use of phone, video, email consultations with clients because of social distancing requirements during the COVID-19 pandemic period. We have one survey for veterinary professionals, that's for vets and nurses, and one survey that is for cat owners that have experienced telemedicine for their cats. Um, and these are visible on the survey page of the website. And if you are able to complete these and share these with relevant clients and colleagues, that would be absolutely amazing. Um, you can also see on the survey page that we do have a number of other surveys that are open at the moment. So we have one on early neutering of cats, which is open to cat owners and also veterinary professionals. We also have a survey looking at the prevalence of strabismus and nystagmus in certain breeds of cats, which again is open to anyone that uh, is an owner of these certain breeds of cats. So that can be yourself or your clients and anything you can do to promote these surveys would be greatly appreciated. Thank you very much for choosing to tune in today and I will now be very happy to answer any questions or hear any comments that you might have. Thank you very much. Thanks again for listening to this session. For more information, please visit vetprofessionals.com. You can find YouTube recordings of all of the 10 minute tips sessions on the video tutorials page. To find the video tutorials page, click on the helpful info menu on the home page. Don't forget that you can also attend future 10 minute tips sessions live and have the opportunity to ask questions. You can read more about how to access these sessions and see the upcoming timetable on the video tutorials page of the website. Lastly, if you found this podcast helpful, don't forget to subscribe and add a review. Thank you.